Hi, my name is Fritzi Horstman, and welcome to Compassion in Action. My guest today is Thomas Hubel. And Thomas Hubel is a renowned teacher, author, and international facilitator whose lifelong work integrates the core insights of the great wisdom traditions and mysticism with the discoveries of science. Since the early 2000s, he has been facilitating large-scale events and courses that focus on the healing and integration of trauma with a special focus on the shared history of Israelis and Germans. Over the last decade, he has facilitated dialogue with thousands of people around healing the collective traumas of racism, oppression, colonialism, genocides in the US, Israel, Germany, Spain, and Argentina. He is the author of the book entitled Healing Collective Trauma, A Process for Integrating Our Intergenerational and Cultural Wounds, which is available at www.collectivetraumabook.com. His nonprofit organization, The Pocket Project, works to support the healing of collective trauma throughout the world. Thomas Hubel, welcome to Compassion in Action. So now we are, I'm here, sorry for the delay. I tried oh. to... No worries, no worries. I'm so excited to see you and I've been immersed in you uh, really? for the past, well, for the past two days, but then ever since I, I found you, I've been, you know, watching you and tracking you and read your book and... Um, oh, amazing. I'm so happy. <laughs> and I was reading my journal and it said, this was in 2018, I, after I just visited a prison, I said, it's time to heal our collective trauma. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and then you showed up. Oh, lovely. <laughs> it's lovely to meet you. Yeah, because I saw the, the trailer of your, you know, your prison project many months ago. Oh. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful work. And I really liked it. So I'm so happy that we meet now, that we oh. were also connected before somehow, obviously. Of course, yeah. of course, we came here to do this. Um, I wanted to show you one other clip before we get started. Um, it's from a different video called Honor Yard. I don't know if you saw that. Um, anyway, oh. I'm just, it's, it's a short clip and I just want you to see what the men said. In one of our classes, we were talking about the effects of slavery on our behavior. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I ain't agree with it when I first heard it. But then when he talked about the discipline, I had a flashback of how I used to get whipped with a bull whip, naked. I didn't put the two and two together, but I realized, you know, that's how slaves was whipped because it was generational trauma passed on from one mother to another mother to another mother, and it passed on to me. I still got marks on my legs and stuff behind that. And I just remembered there was no one I could run to, no one could help me. And she just was telling me how much she loved me and she cried and she beat me with a bull whip. But I was thankful today for the opportunity to forgive myself, to forgive her, and forgive all those people who would traumatize her. Wow. Very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, my sense is that prisons are holding our pain and our shame. And these men and these women living in prisons are doing our work for us. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And I also wanted to read another quote, uh, read a quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if you saw what he, what he spoke about after the Capitol assault. A little bit, but not the whole thing. Let's, uh, I, I saw a bit, a few minutes, yeah. I'm just gonna read what he, what he said. Um, he says, I've never shared this so publicly because it's a painful memory, but my father would come home drunk once or twice a week and he would scream and hit us and scare my mother. I didn't hold him totally responsible because our neighbor was doing the same thing to his family. And so as the next neighbor over, they were in physical pain from the shrapnel in their bodies and, the, and in emotional pain from what they did or saw. Mm. So he's calling out this um, collective trauma that they all endured mm. from, from Nazi Germany. Right. And so what, what we're dealing with is this field of trauma. So I guess, um, I guess to begin, what is your definition of trauma? If you don't mind, I know you say it a lot, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so first of all, thank you for this conversation. I'm really looking forward to have this conversation with you. And, um, and yeah, maybe in a nutshell, trauma is, um, like I believe a very intelligent internal response to overwhelming, strongly overwhelming external experiences. So if somebody experiences a, a very overwhelming moment, the nervous system, the body, our inner psychology, there's, there's a, a fragmentation happening that we can shut down a part of our nervous system, like numb a part of ourselves, in order not to suffer from that a tremendous amount of overwhelm. So that one part of us is highly stressed and it goes so far that we freeze and that we fragment internally. It's like you take a stone and you throw it in, into a window and then you see the cracks. And so for that moment, that internal response is often life-saving. And for children in environments that are very incoherent, violent, or emotionally violent, or neglecting, so the overwhelm can get compartmentalized. And um, but I often describe it as like there is this uh, TV screen, and you see a war scene, and then you mute it, but the scene is still playing. And then you take the entire TV and throw it into the ocean and slowly it disappears in the dark. But down on the bottom of the ocean, it's still playing. And that's what trauma is. So that pain and that screaming and that overwhelm or that fear is not gone. It still lives in our nervous system, but now it's a hostage of time. It got frozen at that level of our development. And so later on in life, when, when life triggers us or when other stressful moments come up, we actually can't respond to that current situation because that unconscious pain starts to rattle in that unconscious box. And um, so we see many repetitive patterns in, in our world that are actually recreations of the original traumatization for many people. And, and that's what we are suffering from. And the stronger is the trauma, the, the more functions that we have, like the more intelligence is bound in those 
permafrost areas in ourselves. So that's maybe a short, a short, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time. It's a short answer. So this permafrost is also collective. We have a collective permafrost, right? That's, it's, it goes from the individual to the family to society. Um, and I would say our permafrost began with the, um, the annihilation of the um, uh, indigenous tribes in, in America, in America, the Native Americans, um, the genocide that happened there. And um, actually, I have a I have a, a letter from a Lakota Indian man who lives in prison, and he wrote to me. And um, I just have one more quote I'd like to share. Um, he says, um, oh, geez, it just went away. I'll just read it from the letter. Sorry, I get a little nervous. He says, I'm a 61-year-old Oglala Lakota Indian doing 28 to life for allegedly robbing someone for a $50 CD player. I've been down 18 years under the three strike. When I started the life sentence, one of the good things is I had a lot of tools and understanding to help myself heal from the generational trauma. Coming up, extreme child abuse from my mother. Again, extreme child abuse in first foster home to the point they arrested the foster lady. So I come up with just a lot of issues that took years before I had the tools to start the healing. So, um, so that is just one residue of what happened in the 1600s when we came and just and 1700s and when we came and just took the land took because we were materialists because we wanted our own I guess it's I don't know but this is one of the residues of what we're dealing with the, the annihilation of these indigenous tribes yeah, and that was, uh, as you said, there is the collective permafrost, and and if we open the landscape even wider, then many people that uh, came over to to the U.S. ran away from traumatizing situations and carried the trauma in their luggage, and and so we could say collective trauma has these historic events, like one of them you named right now, that are severe impacts, but the collective trauma is thousands of years old it's a literally a systemic aspect of our human societies and that's why i think i'm so passionate about about collective trauma because i think if we see personal trauma attachment trauma ancestral trauma historic trauma and collective trauma as one big web so we are dealing actually with a with a tremendously vast function because trauma is a function in our nervous system it's it's meant to protect us in very extreme situations but if we don't have the right skills to reintegrate what we split off then that split off part will develop a life on its own and and we see many effects of that so the symptoms of trauma because often when we talk about trauma also collective trauma we talk about societal symptoms so it's the smoke but trauma healing is is finding the fire because without taking care of the fire we will just be together in the smoke 
And then we are trying to take care of symptoms and those symptoms are not really the issue. The issue is the traumatization and the lack of relatedness that is a, a severe side effect of being traumatized means that our capacity to relate and to respect each other and to see each other's dignity and so on, that, that's kind of diminished. And then all the societal fragmentation start. But I, I think that the switch of like that we take individual trauma seriously because it needs to be taken seriously and to see that as a part of a bigger net. And I think we are, I think we are at this threshold to learn how to, to first of all, notice that systemic effect of trauma and then find ways how to create the right environments to learn to integrate and harvest. The, the amazing thing is if we find the right tools, we create post-traumatic learning. Because in the permafrost, there's a lot of intelligence bound that we actually need today to meet our challenges. It, it's so interesting you say that. What I'm finding working with the people in prison is their incredible resources. And like it's, it's a resource that we are just denying our for our own healing. Um, I have one one quote I want to bring to you that you wrote. Um, the numbness following traumatization reduces humanity's capacity to witness itself and reduces our capacity for compassion. And mm. and to me that's but that's not just compassion for other people, it's also compassion for the self. And and that sense that what I do to others, I do to myself. And I don't think that people are realizing that when they are beating their child, as he, as, as Lester describes his mother crying, you know, she knows she's doing that to herself as well, what she's doing to her son. And, but this is, this is a pattern. So um, I don't know, do you want to speak to that? And then I'll bring up, I want to get to slavery because to me, that's it. That's what's holding us back really holding us back as a society yeah maybe maybe let's speak about that if, if that's uh, where yeah. the energy is okay <laughs> um so i i am deal you know my my passion is prisons because i feel like i feel like there's an injustice there a deep injustice that we are just not looking at and i've um i've i've had this hint that something's really wrong for about 10 years and and I just was watching all these little um, people trying to deal with it, but no one was like getting to the heart of it. It's everyone is traumatized and it's trauma from slavery. It's trauma from what we did to people when they got here, when we imported Africans in 1619, that's what's going on. And we, we ignored our own humanity in order for this to happen. And so you call it, I've heard in your interviews, you call it an, an ethical betrayal. Right, right. Yeah, I, I also want to say that like when you bring in ethics that basically at the root of every trauma healing, I believe the last part of the healing is always an ethical restoration. And the re ethical restoration activates the self-healing mechanism of the tissue of life. This can be the tissue of our own bodies, organs or whatever. And it can also be the tissue of our society, the fabric of our society. So that the, 
the conscious awareness, the light in the tissue is being turned on so that we are aware of the process that's happening. And I agree with you that it's, I have seen this in many processes that we did in, in various parts of the world, like to turn around for the perpetrator side, to turn around and really be courageous enough to look and to see and to feel that's a very hard process it's much easier to keep denying it and and stay in the actions or also in the structural violence that is being perpetuated in order to create this protection but eventually as you said there there is that's a, an ethical betrayal and we have to turn around together we have to turn around and more and more people find the inner strength to do that also as, as, as you do it so beautifully in your, in your project. And I think that's such important work because you see in the moment the ice melts and we, we see the defenses melt, like the beauty that comes out and the, the beauty of the liberation of that energy that was frozen in time, as you said, also sometimes for hundreds of years, the intelligence was frozen and we have been born into those families and circumstances. And um, so I, I also think we, we have the tools to melt it and to create an entirely different world together. Um, but we need to have courage and it's, and trauma healing always comes with a, like us being willing to go through the discomfort that it means to integrate that which has been excluded. And our job is to integrate what our ancestors excluded. That's the, that's, uh, the package in a way that has been placed in our hands and say, listen, that's yours to take care of. And we are sitting with that and we have the choice. Either we do that and we, we I think, Bruce Springsteen, um, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but Bruce Springsteen on Broadway said it beautifully. He said, when he spoke about his own father coming to apologize, and then Bruce Springsteen said, yeah, either you're a, a ghost or you're an ancestor in your child's life. When you're a ghost, you lay your burdens upon them. And when you're an ancestor, you actually give them a choice give them the power to choose for themselves and i thought that's a beautiful way to frame it like how we can live and trauma healing is is a very important part and especially in the us i mean there are so many parts around the world uh, but i think in the us that turning towards is an act of courage and and i hope that more and more people will have the courage to look and feel uh, right, because the people who, especially in the South, although the North is just as as culpable in the annihilation of the African and the African American, and but I see um, in policies and in structural in you know institutions, these things are they're doubling down in annihilation instead of healing and restoration. Um, you know, just in just in our welfare, the way, or just in, in the six hundred dollars versus the two thousand dollars, just 
um, for COVID relief. These kinds of little things are are ways to 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 not acknowledge what's been done and to keep people in poverty, to keep people in annihilation. Like you said in in the book, you talk about the ghosts. Um, how it will, you know, you will annihilate your daughter and keep your son from having an emotional life. Um, I mean, these are the ghosts that we're living with. The ghosts were haunted. These these neighborhoods are haunted. Um, that's what it is. It's a haunting. You don't want to go into those poor neighborhoods. You don't want to go into the the field of a homeless person. But that's that's our field. These are this is the dark lake, right? That you talk about. It's exactly that. Trauma always creates disembodied information, disembodied split of information, and that's that's what we call ghosts. So if we our our I often say our work is to ground the ghosts through our own bodies to bring back the energy that has been the experience and the content that has been disembodied and to become more embodied in order to be, first of all, part of a biosphere consciously, because there's such a temptation that modern life and and the disembodiment create a lifestyle that is deeply disrespectful to the biosphere. And then, and then if we, um, if it's beautiful because we do this often in our training programs, I say to people, um, so let's consciously be aware of like parts of the cities that we live in or areas that we don't want to go to and learn what's the transference process onto me that if I'm not conscious enough, I'm literally turning away from certain parts that I don't want to feel. But if I'm conscious enough, I can I can stay present to that and turn towards. And that's actually the restorative impulse that a system needs in order to get more conscious awareness through all of us in order to be able to ground the ghosts of the past that we don't want to look at. And the more ghosty energy we have, the less we want to go there because the more uncomfortable it feels. But it's our job because we are alive. Restoration means that we go through the discomfort of re-owning the past that we didn't want to own. But the, the most important thing is that if we don't do that, the past will decide for us. It, it robs us of the, like the, the free choice to choose to become a better human being. So we are, we are bound to repeat the past. And so we, are, we keep on repeating the same patterns. And, but I see more and more people that like, whenever we talk about collective trauma, many people resonate because we all feel in a way it's true. Like we know it's true in our bodies. It might be so numb that I'm not aware of it, but when it's mentioned, many people say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I hope that we can create a strong enough movement of melting that permafrost because certain structures in the society, they are based on that ice. As you said before, the decisions, policies, structures in our societies that are, that are ice, they're frozen. They're not gonna change like this. 
And, and when there is activism, often there's a backlash because that structure doesn't want to change. And, but if we melt those structures skillfully, inside new movements gonna arise. So there's, there is learning by melting it skillfully and that will change the structures of our societies. So that's why I'm very hopeful also the work that you do to go to places where many people are very traumatized and to be willing to be there, you know, then you become an alchemical, like a, a, a remedy within the social fabric of, of the places that you go to. And that creates like a healing uh, process. And I think we need much more of that work uh, all around the world. Absolutely. Um, prisons are filled with ghosts, right? That's another ghost uh, sanctuary, I guess we could call it, or a, I don't know, it's a sanctuary, a repository. Um, you walk in there and you can feel there's a hypervigilance there that's because um, every, you know, everyone's on guard and you can't heal in a place that's, that's at that level of toxic stress. Um, there's no, there's no chance for us to, for the body just to relax, but it's also killing the, um, the correctional officers, their life expectancy is 59 years old. So what does that say? You know, the state is sanctioning early death for the people they hire. I mean, it's, it's embedded in the system that, that destroys everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, and, the ghosts. And, and um, I, I also think, for example, the work that you do, you go in there and you consciously allow yourself to feel the hypervigilance. And then, and then there is a relation to hypervigilance, not that we want to get rid of it, we want to relate to it in order for a relaxation to happen. So there is, there's one path is going into the system and, and, and creating a new movement from inside and that allows a deeper relaxation and the healing movement. The other one is also, and maybe they can be combined, is that, you know, I I'm, I'm, I gave some courses with, or we still do like with William Urey and, um, and there is, he talks a lot about the third side and, um, and, we as the society are also the third side of the prisons. Not that the prisons are outside somewhere. They are here in the middle of our society. So how can we create like the, you know, the remedy from within and like a witnessing structure, like an attention that will help that kind of process that's happening inside to become stronger. I think that's also an interesting uh like synergy that can happen for the work that you are doing yeah or, mm -hmm. absolutely it sounds ex it's very exciting i'm you know we're all it's prisons are deliberately placed in places where it's hard to get to it, the, the prison i would go i would have to drive two and a half mile uh two and a half hours just to get to a prison and um this is by design that it we've exiled our trauma to the as far as possible you know and but it is it's in the surrounding and the in you know enveloping and loving the people in there that will shift 
to me, it will help shift our society because the traumatization in prisons is the highest in our society. And they come from communities where they're traumatizing the highest in our society. So when they learn tools about their trauma, it can go out mm-hmm. to their families, you know, and to their communities and vice versa. But, but it's, it's localized. You can, you can actually get them all in one place <laughs> instead of in different mm-hmm. areas. So, but I, I'm dying. I would love to learn more about this third. What is it? The third. Third side. Yeah, it's a beautiful that that every conflict within the community is always a conflict, not only of the two people or the people involved, but of the entire community. So the entire community is the immune system that uh, needs to take care of the conflict within the community. And if we take this a step further, is that the whole society is the immune system that needs to take care of the healing of the trauma within our prison system because it's we are all it's all part of our responsibility the fact that we feel so separate means that we try to externalize like we externalize it inside through the trauma response we split off a part so we learn to split off externally the parts that represent traumatization but it's the same process we are doing outside what millions of people billions of people do inside so and now we are looking in, in our conversation, we're also looking how to reverse that process. And I think it starts with very innovative uh, work like you do. And maybe also we can combine some of the work like the collective work and, um, and your work and the collective witnessing work. So to, to empower people like yourself and, and that that again is a, a real learning for the, as you said, for the whole uh, community for the whole society because the, the trauma healing in the prison is a deep learning for the com- for the entire society I am absolutely convinced that we will all learn a lot and um, grow absolutely I mean the stories of abuse that I get every day it's um, you know it well, I have an ACE score of eight, an adverse childhood experience score of eight. So, um, you know, last last night I did this kind of just lying there. I, I'm, my mother was put up for adoption when she was a little baby. And I went and I thought about my mother's mother, what she was going through when she was 16, pregnant and the stress that she ha- felt about knowing she was going to give up her baby because... I thought I have a 14 year old, but I, the minute I saw my son, I had more love for him than I've ever had for anything in my life. And to imagine my grandmother going through that process of giving up her, her daughter and the trauma, the amount of trauma she must've been in and poverty and annihilation. And I, felt that for the first time last night because I was getting ready for this and I've been thinking about my generational trauma and you know just on my mother's side and then I went to but just to and then the pain my mother felt of being abandoned and the pain of living in actually a sharecropper's farm um, in Louisiana so my racism I 
I had racism that was, tr she tried to plant racist seeds in me for some reason I didn't, it, they didn't, they didn't take, but um, that annihilation, she wanted to perpetuate the annihilation because she didn't, there is no other option. And that's what I'm seeing is traumatized people can't see another option. And it's, but it, you know, it's in my family, my sister's an alcoholic and, you know, it's overwhelming. The, I, a bomb went off last month. You talk about bombs of unlived anger you talked about. And we had a bomb go off of, in me of unlived anger that I've been repressing for my life, my whole life. I didn't know what it was until I read your book. I was so happy. Um, but I don't know what I'm really saying, but just that, just my story is just part of everyone's story. My trauma is everyone else's trauma too, right? And I want to acknowledge that you're willing to tell that to me here and uh, that you're so open to share your own trauma with me and and that it feels safe enough for you to do that. So I want to honor that. And I think that's also what we need. I think we need um, like relation and maybe a community environment where we can bring our trauma in a skillful way into relation, you know, not in an overloading way, but in a skillful way in order to create a kind of a resonance field for each other. Because what trauma certainly does is, is you know very well, but also for everybody who's listening, like the like what trauma does is it 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 very much comes with the feeling of isolation, aloneness, and separation, and then we stay within the box of our own isolation, and it's hard for us to reach out for support. It's hard for us to say I need, or it's hard for us to say like that's going on. I need I need your presence. Like I need you just to listen. And and I think if we can create more, and I'm sure that that's, I mean, that's also what I saw of your work, what you create uh, for people and what people create for each other. And I think that that's a very powerful, because in a way the remedy is also something that every one of us carries in, for some, some sort of it inside. You know, some people are simply very trained and they need to take care of very complex traumatization. But also every one of us in culture, I call this always cultural competence building. Like there's a trauma-informed cultural competence building that millions of people can know the basics of trauma, of the trauma response, of how people react when, when they get triggered, what that means, how we can be in relation to that. You know, not everybody needs to be a very specialized trauma therapist to do that. We can do that for each other in more mindful community building. And it would, it would actually relieve some of our specialists to do the work that they need to do. And it would also maybe give us more competence to prevent like certain circumstances where people at the end end up in prison. And the, the shared responsibility for crimes that happen in our society mm -hmm. is still very, very, very immature. 
Like we, we still think it's happening outside of us. You know, like many people think, oh, it's happening there. It's nothing to do with me. And, and that kind of lack of understanding interdependence, it's like as if you say, yeah, the oxygen around me has nothing to do with me. Yeah, I can say that, but it's a painful experience if that was true. And now if, I'm, if I can't breathe the oxygen around me, and there I quickly realize what interdependence means, how the tree and the biosphere and me are interdependent, but we don't have that yet uh, around crimes. That's, that's different, <laughs> but you know, that's the same. So, um, yeah. Yes, because crime is just a symptom, right? That's the smoke. That's the smoke because exactly. underneath the, the crime is poverty, is um, systemic racism, is mm -hmm. uh, systemic, uh, systemic poverty. It, it, and a lack of hope. Um, that's one of the most devastating things that, that I encounter is just the, why should I bother? Why should I even bother um, to create? Why should I, you know, I'm just gonna lie around and watch TV all day. That's mm. happening in prison and that's happening in, you know, that's happening in our society everywhere. Um, mm. But the smoke is the crime. But if, you know, a lot of these crimes are, are crimes of um, just survival, just trying to just trying to get food on the table or get the rent paid or just to feel better, you know, and, and we have billionaires, you know, just ignoring it. And it, this is this disconnection and it's enforced and it's, it's almost deliberate. I'm feeling, um, they want poor people. I don't know who they is, but somebody wants a poor person because I don't want a poor person. I, I want everybody to have a, a you know, a fulfilling life because then I get to have one too. But can you speak to more to the crime is our crime? Because I don't think, I think I really, that one's a big one. Um, and they say that crime is a choice and we know with the prefrontal cortex going offline, it's not a choice necessarily. Yeah, that's, um, I think it, it both is true. I think for everybody who commits a crime, there is a responsibility that needs to be taken, that it's a, that it is a choice on some level. On the other hand, it's, it's like that choice comes out of a system and the system is the, the person, like an in, I often say an individual is a specific expression of the whole. The individual is not a separate particle within our society. And, and I think we are still very hypnotized in the modern times that the hyper-individualism suggests that everybody is a separate particle walking around and having his or her separate freedom. But interdependence says that there is individuation there is autonomy there is you know there is a mature person but on the other hand that mature person is always part of a living system and we see that the systemic effect of hundreds of years as you said of racism and structural violence and uh, before slavery and then um that there is so much frozen intelligence that is invisible to our senses. 
And especially if we have been conditioned by that specific society, because we grew up in the States or in Europe or in Africa or anywhere on the planet. So the environment that we grew up in and the collective trauma of the environment conditioned my nervous system not to feel certain things that are every day around us. It's the water that we are breathing or the air that we are breathing, like a fish in the water, like collective trauma is in the air. And as children, we grow up in that collective trauma field. And then because it's so normal and nobody tells us what we experience, that basic trauma symptoms are called that's life. And I think we have to stop calling that life. We have to call that wounded life. Because in the moment, you know, if somebody is not aware of an injury and then comes all the time suffering from life-threatening inflammations all over the body, so then you would say, yes, I understand you have an inflammation, but foremost, you have a, a, a big wound and that creates constant. So I can give you antibiotics all the time, but I, it's not going to take care of your issue because you need to take care of the wound. And And we are dealing with society sometimes as if, that's how life is. And that's part of the numbness. That's not how life is. Many symptoms in our society, that's how life is when it's hurt. And once we call it that way, and it's a non-stigmatizing, uh, trauma is not a, a stigma, uh, like a stigmatization. It's, it's, an, it's a part of life that, you know, most probably almost everybody carries in some way around the world. So it's something that that we have been born into and it's our job to take care of. And if I think if we see it that way, some people suffer much more, some people suffer much less, but it affects the entire population of the planet. And, and that's why I think what you are saying is so true that we are like that, frozenness creates life circumstances because if a lot of information is frozen mm -hmm. then the motivation to be alive to be creative to be a participant in society to have perspective you know to feel that that we have a i often say the three like human rights are composed out of three rights the right to be to be in life the right to become and the right to belong mm -hmm. these three rights compose human rights like to be in life is to be, is being, but it's also time-space. It's being synchronized with one's development and having time to reflect on life. And become is the expression of the intelligence. And every level of my development wants to belong. I create friends at school. I, create, I have colleagues at work. I want to be part of a community. And I think every every person who has been supported naturally wants to contribute something meaningful, naturally wants to create meaningful relations. But if that has been hurt, or even if the right to be in life has been hurt, then, yeah, as you said, the consequence of that is that for many people, that's the, the, last, the last solution that they see in their life. And... Um, and, and we don't have at all the right context. And I believe also that our prison system is actually preventing restoration to happen. And it's not the adequate system to even support human rights. Because 
And like, if you go into the prison or people like you and do the work in the system, that's when like the capacity to restore something is being provided in a different way. And so it also can happen more likely or more probably. But the, I think just putting people into a prison is, um, is depriving life mm -hmm. from the opportunity to restore in a meaningful way. Because for this, we need reflection. For this, we need safe spaces. For this, we need, like, we need exchange. We need trauma healing. We need many things in order to go through that restorative process. And so, I mean, there might be a few more um, maybe progressive places that do that but uh, on a larger scale it's it's still a, a little bit like in the middle age i believe uh, 100% yeah. 100% medieval <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which you know which is a lot of our trauma comes from the middle medieval times right um all the white people that came to america were traumatized from um the crusades or not the crusades but i don't even know my history but <laughs> I do know it wasn't good. It wasn't good, but it was all, it's all, I think all trauma comes from materialism, right? Isn't, wouldn't you say, or at least general, like collective trauma comes from the desire to have more because we're, first of all, we feel separate. So then we need to fill ourselves up with material because there's something lacking because if if we were whole, we wouldn't need all that stuff, right? Is that, does that sound right? <laughs> right, there is, no, there is a there is a healthy sense of materialism because of my body is also substance and material of the planet. So we are a planet. I, I often say, even the idea that we are on the planet is not fully correct because my body is the substance of the planet. So there is like, I, I am material. And, and I am interacting with this with the physical world around me. But the regulation, I think, is a question. Where does it come from that, that accumulating or needing or using more energy than I need? That's a good question where that comes from. Uh, the, the, the healthy materialism that, is, that equals the potential of a person that uh, the person needs for the expression of their soul or purpose in life, I think is great. But we are not talking about that healthy regulated form, you know, on, on multiple levels in our life. We are looking at what is actually the exaggerated aspect of that. And I think that's also based on the collective trauma story that the regulation function with, with, with our natural, within our natural environment the feedback mechanism is not working properly. And so we are not in tune with the living world that we are part of. And that separation creates now a massive symptom mm -hmm. that we call climate change or climate crisis. And suddenly we are being confronted with our lifestyle, like that overconsumption and that over, many things are over and too fast and I think that's when we are walking on a lot of fear. When we are too fast, it's a sign that we are, that there's a lot of fear in our base, in our systems. Yeah, and we're also, I, I have caught myself overdoing all the time, my workaholism and mm -hmm. just, you know, trying to maximize every second instead of just 
you know, standing in line, I'm like, I have to do something. <laughs> and it's, it's like, well, wait a second, just be here. And, but just learning to slow down, learning to say no for me has been really difficult. It's, mm -hmm. but, you know, no is as, is as much of a choice as saying yes. It's, but we don't know how to say no, we just want more. And so I don't think we have, we, we are, we are dysregulated, I think. I mean, I know I am. Mm -hmm. And I know my son is, I know, yeah. But I have too much stuff and, you know, 10 blocks away, they don't have enough. And so I'm like, well, how do I, what do I do to balance this? It's, how do we, how do we find balance in this? It, I, I mean, it's overwhelming me sometimes just thinking about all we have to do, especially in, in the next 10 years, this has, five years, this has to happen. Yeah, and that's a good question because we 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 might be dysregulated in the one way, but we can also be dysregulated in the other way that we just throw everything away and then we say, okay, we shouldn't have anything. And and where is the middle ground that is in tune with ourselves, but is also in tune that we can and that's beautiful because when we when we look at the the basic building block of relating, it's I feel you and I feel you feeling me and i think in that regulation that i feel you feeling me in the co-regulation but i feel the world around me i feel the community that i'm part of is not i just think about the community i also think about it but cognition is a is thinking and feeling together and so when I can feel the environment that I'm part of, I will also know what's my part and where I'm actually over-sacrificing myself. And by doing that, I'm burning the substance of my own body. So if I over-sacrifice myself, I'm actually not sustainable. It might look like amazing at the beginning, but actually I'm burning nature in my body. So how can we live a sustainable life that is regulated in its sustainability? I think that's the great question for all of us because I believe, for example, you're doing uh, great work already. And where is the part that might say, oh, I need to do more than I actually can do. Mm -hmm. And I think for many, many people like us that are already doing a lot of projects, it's very important to look at, okay, where is the regulated way that saying no is actually a healthy decision for sustainability? Because we want you to do your work for many decades and in a, in, with motivation and without depletion, and so do I. So I think it's our responsibility to find that regulated way and that um, how we are taking care of the societal issues as a community. I think yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, as we, I think as we all start regulating, it, we co-regulate, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So we can, I can, my actions can affect other people because like the people I'm working with in my nonprofit, 
I'm, I'm asking them to take care of themselves too. And of course I found more workaholics. Of course I did. Um, so we're all learning this together, learning this co-regulating. But one of the things I wanted to ask though is how can we move forward together? I know you have the, the pocket project, which I love. I just signed up today. Um, oh, lovely, lovely. But I would love for you to talk some a little bit about that just so we can, you know, I think people need to really, you know, this is collective trauma. We all have a piece in this. We are all part of this organism. And mm -hmm. so what is the, what is the small act I can do? What is a small act or, you know, it's intentional, right? Just, I wanted to mention this, the, the, the title of your book is intentional, right? Cause you're saying it's, it's happening. We're healing collective trauma. It is in action. So I really mm -hmm. loved thinking about that as like, okay, that's what we are doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And to bring this to, you know, I want, I want the community down the road to heal their collective trauma because it's my collective trauma. So, you know, I want to face forward to that community. I want to be in that community mm -hmm. safely. <laughs> there's, you know, there's that sense of fear, like, wait, I'm the white person, you know, who is this lady? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you said it, <clears throat> that what we said before is there's an individual regulation that we need to learn and we, we all can look deeper at our own trauma history and how it affected us and, and also maybe get the support that we need, but also do some practices like mindfulness practices, movement practices, regulation practices, moment-to-moment -moment practices. So there are many practices that we can... if somebody wants to find it i mean there are many resources by now how to create more what we call inner coherence and then on the collective level i think collective trauma needs a collective healing so i think we need to create environments communities that want to look at collective trauma but since collective trauma is very complex we want to look at, at it skillfully. So we have to find ways how to learn that. And the pocket project, as you mentioned, is one way that's our contribution, simply how to create, we call that international labs. We created 23 by now groups that are dealing with collective trauma all around the world, from Latin America to North America, Africa, Europe, Middle East, Asia, and so forth. And um, but what, what I think what we are doing is two things. One is, I think we are in a phase, given like looking at collective trauma now, we are at a phase where we are just becoming aware that there is an entire invisible layer to life that is invisible by the nature of trauma. It's information that is not in our awareness, that affects, it's a co-creative quality in our society that affects our society, that affects the ways we build society, and that it affects why there's a lot of fortune here and then there's almost none over here. So I often say, you know, if you, let's say you go to a coffee shop and everybody comes with their device and or the laptop and they want to work so let's say one part of the coffee shop has wi-fi and the other part of the coffee shop doesn't have wi-fi 
So where will you find most probably most of the people? Right, in the part of the coffee shop where there's good Wi-Fi because their people can work and they can have their coffee and they can watch their movies and so on. So that other part will be almost empty. And I think that's a great explanation about energy. Trauma is like frozen energy. When it's more frozen, there's less vitality. There's less Wi-Fi information available. So there are certain very privileged parts of our society that also have much more resources available to take care of trauma. So they liberate constantly energy. So it will be more flourishing. But our entire planning could be like that. But then the thinking is boxed in this inequality status that says nobody cannot be. It cannot be that all of us are flourishing. You know, we are, we are thinking, we are already conditioned in the thinking that the inequality shapes our thinking. So that, like as if, no, there is not enough for everybody. Not everybody can be really flourishing. Yes, everybody can be really flourishing if, because it creates a much more intelligent network of life. That's the web of life. But I think we are so used to that trauma imbalance that certain areas are very energized. But what happens, that's also a great example. What happens, for example, in parts of cities that where many people don't want to live, it's like it's, it's, it's neighborhoods that people try to avoid. People want to be in the hip neighborhoods, in the good neighborhoods. And, and then people that have less income or uh, less fortunate with money, so they, they go to those areas. But often, whom do you find in those areas? Artists. So many artists move to uh, an area, but through the creative process, we, there is a generation of energy like we generate energy and that generation charges the place and then the place becomes an in place many people like find it cool and then they move there and then it becomes like a privileged place and then the artists need to move again to other areas because they don't they cannot afford the rent and so when we look at this the creativity so there's trauma healing that liberates energy and creates post-traumatic learning so they always, every trauma that's being integrated creates learning. But creativity and the creative process, like a genuine creative process, is also raising, raising the energy of the uh, building energy. And, um, and so I think these are two interesting things to think about how to, to help um, poor neighborhoods or neighborhoods in poverty. So there's, there's um, trauma work that uh, needs to happen in order to loosen up life energy and to reduce the permafrost, but also creativity and, um, and uh, creative innovative processes. That's why we started to combine collective trauma healing is, is, hard, is, is melting the energy that's frozen in the ice and then to connect that to innovative or more startup worlds in order to harvest that energy and build new structures in society that are even more functional than the old ones. And I think that's a great combination of um, innovation and, and trauma healing. It's incredible. I love, I love that. And it's true, my sister lives in a, an impoverished area and she's an artist, so it makes perfect sense. It's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that 
that's the sense I get from your book is that there is hope. There is a, there is a lot of hope. Um, and, you know, what would you, so we're going to work on our own traumas, but then how do we connect? How do we, how do we get into, how does this, how does, how does our collective collect? How do we collect the collective? How do we, mm-hmm. how do I connect to everybody? You know, um, mm-hmm. by what we are doing right now, I think the fact that we found each other is because we resonate very much with each other. And then, you know, last year we did a collective trauma summit. We had more than 100,000 people and that were interested in joining the summit. So there is a lot of energy there. We just need to find ways how to harvest it, as you said, through collaborating, through um, creating events that that uh, offer that kind of knowledge first to to many people, and then also to like as we do it with the pocket project or you do it with your work, like where people can get engaged because I think trauma healing needs engagement. It's not just coming to us because we can buy it and we can consume trauma healing and that's good. It's like I buy another ticket for a movie. Like trauma healing needs engagement. It needs work. And in our society, we want to get everything cheap, fast, and easy. And trauma healing is exactly the opposite. It takes its time. It, it needs to be done skillfully. And it's not an easy process. It's, it, it, it needs our investment. And so I think, but if we work together and we create the networks that we create through conversations like this one, um, more and more people, like start to resonate and then it's it's, it's going to become a movement I'm, I'm absolutely certain that the net, we are at the threshold where we are already stepping into a new era of healing and the next era of healing is collective it's 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 by the nature of technology and by the nature of becoming a global village as humanity because the planet is shrinking it seems because technology is getting faster and the population is is bigger so there's less out there you know, where is out there today? Today, everything's in here with all the toxins that before we put out there. Now they're also in here and all the microplastic and all the stuff that we try to put out there. So we see actually we cannot live a lifestyle that is not sustainable. It doesn't work when suddenly everything is in here. Because if I put toxins into the water that I'm swimming in, I hurt myself and I hurt everybody that is swimming in this water. And since we're all swimming in the same water, we can't continue like that. So now we are forced to grow as humanity and make a new step because we cannot continue the lifestyle that we had until now. And I think even COVID is a, is a first hard reminder of that truth. Absolutely. I have this thing in my head I want to ta- ask you about. So you're saying when we do, when we heal collective trauma it has to be done, you know, intelligently and carefully because my instinct is just to go into the South and, you know, have people talk, but, uh, you know, it's like, let's get African-Americans and, and former slave owner, you know, slave owner families together and get these discussions going. But that probably is not the, that's kind of my impulse, you know, that I was like, let's go do this. But I mean, how would you address this, this slavery piece? I mean, to me, that's, 
I mean, I know we're doing it. I'm doing it from the prison side. Um, but we mm -hmm. also have traumatized people. The slave owners were just as traumatized as the slaves. So, and they're not, you know, well, so it, it, to me, it's, and George Washington had slaves, by the way, and he lived in the North. So I'm just going to call that out as well. It's, we're not immune in the North. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it needs to be done with sensitivity and it needs to be done like with the knowledge that trauma is like the Russian dolls. You know, like it's, there's my personal trauma. So we need to find a way how to provide enough knowledge and skill and capacity to take care of the personal traumatization. Because if people are too <coughs> shaky in their own personal experience, being exposed or opening up the collective trauma layers is very destabilizing. So it needs a certain amount of individual healing that we need to provide. And we need to provide safe containers. So maybe given slavery, first to create dialogues amongst the groups, you know, amongst themselves, you know, like white people or former slave owners or families that are connected to slavery and, and uh, people of color and African-American people to do some of the work in, in more safe environments might be good uh, for at least for some aspects of the work and then to find a way how to skillfully open up that deeper layer where relation needs to be skillfully restored and i think it needs a lot of as you know from your work i mean it needs a lot of process awareness how to do that with the right pace also not not being scared, like being courageous enough to step into it, but also be attuned so that we step-by-step step open it. Because we did a lot of work on the, um, on the Holocaust past and the Second World War. And, um, and I've seen like when a group goes into such a process and, and this collective field, since many people share the same trauma layer through their ancestors or even by themselves, then when one person, when it opens up in one person, suddenly it might open up in 50, 100, 500 people at the same time, depending on how many people are in the room. So I have seen very large groups, but we also had a lot of therapists or facilitators with us like we were a big team to hold big groups and it's it's a very powerful experience but it also needs to be done skillfully and just because i believe in the trauma healing like conversation and relation is very helpful but when we go to the real trauma we need a very precise relation in order not to re-trigger but then not integrate the trauma itself and and so in in our work we are we learn how to use our own nervous system to meet the trauma storage in the person very specifically like where it's really stored so that the trauma when it opens up immediately goes into like a relational co-regulation Otherwise, the person speaks about it, comes closer through talking about their biography or their experiences, but then there is no alchemical integration. And that's, I think we need to provide that relational skill set 
in order to be able to really listen to each other. Because if you tell me something painful and I pull away from you, then I give you again the feeling that you're alone with your pain. But if I can stay with you and feel whatever you feel and be as like a resonance surface for what you, so that you really get the feeling I hear what you say, that's the healing part that the pain is not isolated because that's anyway what trauma does, but that the pain can come back into relation, be digested together and can integrate itself into a new development. And, and for, for the collective trauma healing, that's a bit our challenge, how to create a safe environment, enough collective coherence. But the good news is also that I have seen over and over and over again, um, on the one hand, when a group of people, let's say we have 500 people in a room and, and many people really are tuned and attentive and present, when one person speaks, the one person speaks a voice that is resonant for many people in the room and many people hold the space and amplify this person's healing process. So there's, again, the interdependence. The issue of the person is also an issue of the system. It's a, it's, it belongs together. It's one, like the, the, the trauma in the person and the resonance in the, in the collective. That's one. They're not two. And so when, when we work with that principle that I have seen groups that went into such a deep state of presence, like hundreds of people, that you could hear a needle drop, pin drop. Because it's when, when we are so dialed in, then we are not asking how long does it still take? Because everybody is literally there. And that creates a field that I call the resurrection of the collective witness. Like that there's a new function of witnessing arising through all of us that is not anymore bound to the regular separation, that transcends the regular separation so that one person listens and another person listens and another person listens. It's not that, it's, it's an overarching presence. And whenever that happened in the groups, it accelerated, like it was like a miracle, it, like it accelerated healing processes. And it took the conversation to a very naked, deep, meaningful, precise process. As if suddenly everybody in the room speaks differently about whatever their trauma and, and can sit with the perpetrators in the same room or the, the ancestors of the perpetrators. And, and every time I, sa I saw that it was amazing. And then I had once a conversation like we're having now with Otto Schammer. And, uh, and then he uh, told me, listen, Thomas, it was also about collective trauma for us. And he said, listen, Thomas, I need to tell you something. I had once this workshop in Berlin and there were Jewish people and also German people and American Jews. And, and then he described a very similar process. And then he said, and there was a moment when suddenly I wasn't looking anymore as Otto. I was looking as the whole, as the whole. So suddenly he was 
like this, the room was in a different state of consciousness. And I think that that state of consciousness, because I know exactly what he said, because I experienced that very often, um, I think that state is a function of collective trauma healing. There's something when we really come together as a group, and we are not just an audience, like we are not just listening what you're saying, we are participants. Um, and I'm sure you experienced this too in, in, your, in your projects. And that function is an accelerator of collective trauma healing, like a healthy accelerator, not a, a fear-based acceleration. I, I kind of want to say, is it God? Is it the presence of God? If we're, I mean, that's what it seems. It's, it's a holy, it's holy, it's sacred. Mm -hmm. It's a sacred. Exactly. It, it, and the men who, for me, the men who went through that process, they would dance. They, they would, you know, they would be in the circle and like, they're like, I'm a, it's, they're different. They're different men because they got to share their burdens and we held their burdens we didn't judge them and that's the but to be able to put it into words and it, it isn't it's alchemy right it is alchemy exactly that's it exactly is, yeah it, and it's exactly what you said that in, in those moments you have a feeling of the sacredness in the room we are dealing with the deepest pain but there is something deeply sacred at the same time. It's like coexisting in the same moment. And then I think that power is here to support it because otherwise we would say there's so much pain in the world. Like just right now I'm sitting in Tel Aviv, like 300 kilometers from here is a raging war in Syria. Like people are, more people are being traumatized than we can talk about trauma here right now in this moment so we could say wow it's it's so overwhelming much but not when we take that other power in account and i think it's something that is a resource in the collective work the collective has a lot of power to heal itself yeah uh, yeah and you know the sacred is it's something we've lost in, um, you know, I never went to church. I went to church twice or whatever, but they, the cathedrals really show us what sacred looks like. It's like the physicality of sacred. And it's like, oh, this is, but this is us. You walk in there and you're walking into, into your own uh, realization of your own being a God. It's like, mm -hmm. we are gods. And it's, it's the remembering of, of our magnificence, right? That's what, that's what we're doing. Um, it's a remembering of, of our capacity to bow. You know, it's our capacity. And that's what in modern times often got lost, like because everybody thinks we are the hero and Superman became an icon. But actually our capacity to bow to a higher presence and to receive a blessing um, is so powerful. And, uh, and, and I think it's something that we have to re-own. 
the power to bow and to power to bow to each other's competencies, but also to bow to that to that presence. Yeah, and yeah, and and to honor our courage and our, um, you know, our the human spirit is so strong and resilient. It, it is. It's just sometimes it just needs to be shown what's possible. And I think that's, that's what you're doing. And oh God, what's possible is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sacred. Um, so we go from these, these horrific betrayals ethical betrayals into these divine moments of, Mm. and it's all the same thing, right? It's all, it's the flip side of the coin, right? It's, it's our duality and our unity. I would say, I don't know. I mean, we're capable of the worst and we're capable of the, of the best. Yeah, and when we see often in when there's traumatization, there's a transgression of what I call the law of life, the internal law of life, the higher ethics. And and our job is simply to restore the transgressions because every time there's a transgression, I often say the nervous system is like a lawyer. And the nervous system knows the law of life exactly. So every time, because if somebody lies to somebody or if somebody hurts somebody, a part of the nervous system needs to be dimmed down or shut down in order to do that. And and that transgression creates like in a way a different kind, but it's the trauma creates that split, but the transgression also creates a split. So it reduces the coherence of life and it creates two. Like trauma creates two, it splits something, and um, the transgression creates two. And the unification is the healing. When we feel healing moments, and I'm sure you have many of those, when there is something is healing, you also have the feeling of a sacredness. There's a moment of... And that mo- in that moment, we know that for somebody, something like very important happened. Like a real healing. It's not just talking about the pain. It's like something happened to change the person to a certain degree. And um, and I think we that's what, what you said, like we the way we choose in life can hurt the law, but we can we also have the power to return to the unification. And then uh, we can like it restores the relation. And, and I'm very hopeful that we as humanity, more and more people restore their relations to each other, to the ancestors, to the future, to the biosphere, to anything. So, yeah. Thank you so much for this time and for, um, for your wisdom and your grace. Um, I look forward to exploring what's possible with our work and we're, we're creating, um, we're actually creating a round table of returning citizens and a round table of retired correctional officers. Mm. They're gonna talk 
amongst themselves and then we're going to bring them together so kind of what you just described is kind of what we're doing and i'm just we're just doing it um so that's really exciting and um yeah i would love to figure out what we can how we can march together in this because i really think we're we're heading in the same direction walking the same <laughs> yeah the same. me too i would love that and I'm so happy for the work you're doing. And I'm so very grateful that you invited me to have this conversation. And let's let's stay connected. I'm sure something will unfold. I'm, I'm very um, enthusiastic that we met. And I'm sure yes. we're going to develop something together. Thank you. And um, just to remind the readers, Healing Collective Trauma, it's an act, but it's also a book. <laughs> <laughs> written by Thomas Hubel. It's such an honor to meet you and to talk with you. Mm. And um, let's talk again in a year and see what we've done. Fantastic. Let's do that. Let's okay. do that. Yeah, okay. thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll talk soon. Mm -hmm. we we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Thomas Hubel. It was better than I imagined and more informative. I keep learning. Every time I listen to him talk, I learn more things. Um, and I'm excited for what's possible between the two of us and our organizations. Uh, please visit our website at CompassionPrisonProject.org to learn more about what we're doing, get involved, uh, donate, and subscribe to this podcast and like it and leave a comment. And thank you for supporting us. And Let's uh, heal this collective trauma. Let's do our part. And um, I think we can do it. So thanks for listening.